want to continue today talking about the victorious Christian. Henry Blackaby said that if you know that God loves you, you should never question a directive from God. It will always be right and best. When he gives you a directive, you are not just to observe it, discuss it, or debate it. You are to obey it. As we continue in this series, I want to talk with you this morning on the importance of following the instructions of God. I want to ask you a question, kind of a random survey here. How many of you have ever attempted to put something together without following the instructions? Hold your hands up. Is that just about everybody in here? You've tried to do that and you... I've got some interesting stories, and I've shared some of them over the past, but the most memorable is that uh, years ago when our daughter was little, for her birthday, we, we purchased her swing set, and uh, we decided what we would do is we would put it together after she uh, went to sleep. I don't know what I was thinking when I decided that, but uh, we ended up working all night putting this, it's just poles, you know, that's what I thought, just stick these poles together and hang chains down with a seat on them, that's what I thought, any dad who has put together a swing set knows it's just, that's just not true, and uh, so Allison and I, she helped me through the night, and, and we worked on this thing, and we unboxed it, I've never seen so many parts in all my life, uh, but I thought, I don't have time. The, the instruction book was like this. It was that kind of thing, you know. And when you see that, you kind of go, <sighs> and I thought, man, I know how to, to do this. Well, I thought, I, I can do this on the backstroke. I don't, I don't need this book. And so we embarked on this. My wife trusted me, which was probably the wrong move. We embarked on this project through the night. And until the, finally, in the wee hours of the morning, I think we had completed it. And my wife picks up suddenly, she walks over to me, and she hands me this bag. It's about this size, and it's, she says, what are these for? And it's full of nuts and bolts and screws and everything. And I realized I had left them out. And I realized that my pride was now involved. And so I just turned to her, I said, oh, those are just spare parts they send in case something, in case you need something later on. There was a whole bag of stuff that I had to try to figure out where these things are supposed to go to make sure this set stayed together. You've done stuff like that before, too. Y'all don't look at me like, like I've never done something like You've done that, you know, where you've done something you didn't. You tr what were you doing? You were trying to take a shortcut, weren't you? And by the way, there are no shortcuts in the long run. And here's what I have learned as I've gotten older. Go ahead and read the instructions because you'll probably get done faster if you read the instructions than you will if you think you can shortcut the instruction well you know the same is true with with our our walk with God and if we're going to be victorious Christians we've got to read the instructions and not only read them we got to follow them and uh, that's what I want to talk about today the importance of following the instructions now we've been given instructions it's called the Bible the the scripture God has given to us to help us live victoriously uh, and it's not an overreach for me to say to you this morning that you cannot, you cannot have victory. You can't live in victory if you don't follow the, God's instructions. You can deny them if you want. You can refuse them if you want. You can ignore them if you want. You can try to find a shortcut if you want. But the fact is, you cannot and you will not experience victorious living in Christ if you don't follow God's instructions. That's why he's given them to us, to help us out. Um, years ago, uh, the Dallas Cowboys uh, were quarterbacked by a Hall of Fame quarterback now named Roger Staubach. Some of you may remember that. He was coached by a Hall of Fame coach named Tom Landry. And uh, uh, years later, after his career was over, Staubach said this. He said, you know, I, I got frustrated early in my career because, uh, he said, Coach Landry called every play. He said, I had no control. And he said, it really kind of, it kind of 
wounded my pride to, that I didn't get to run my own team. And that every play, whether it's a running play or whether it was a pass, you name it, he called every play. And the only variation, he said, that I had was in just an absolute emergency. I could audible out of the play. But otherwise, no exceptions, he said, I was to run the play that Coach Landry called and ran in. And he says of this, he says, but it wasn't until later that we began to, our team began to experience victory. And it was only after he said, and I quote, I faced up to the issue of the uh, obedience. I put my pride aside and I said, I'm going to obey what the coach says. And he says, once I learned to obey his instructions, there was harmony uh, in our relationship. There was harmony and fulfillment on our football team. And we experienced victory, and they went on to, to win the 1971 uh, Super Bowl. Well, the victorious Christian has come to learn that doing what God says is not optional. Even if our pride gets in the way, it's not negotiable. He knows what he's doing, and we must say, okay, I put my own opinions down, I put my pride aside, and I say, Lord, I trust you and what you want me to do. And if you want victory, you're going to have to follow his instructions, and you've got to trust that God really does know what he's doing. Now, I know we, we believe that, at least in theory, we say God knows what he's doing, but the evidence that we believe it is that we adjust to what God says, even when it may not always uh, feel right or even make sense. And so this morning, I want to talk with you uh, about this whole matter of following the instructions God has given us. So let's read from his word. If you're physically able to do so, stand with me this morning. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 17, 1 Kings, it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in uh, Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and uh, I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And so he went and he did according to the word of the Lord. And he went and he lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Father, thank you for your word. It is our instruction manual. And I pray this morning that you would speak to us. And I pray, Father, for those who are watching and listening by live stream and radio and television, God, that you would speak. And I pray that all of us, Father, uh, would grow in our understanding of what it means to follow you. And when you speak for us to trust what you have said, and adjust accordingly. Now, Lord, would you convict us, and would you transform us? And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my God, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, Elijah is a model for the victorious Christian. He's a great model for us to look at. Because he wasn't a perfect man, but he was a man who at least understood what it meant to obey God and follow the instructions. And because of that, God was able to do some pretty incredible things through Elijah. Elijah is considered one of the great characters of the Bible. But it's interesting, if you go over the New Testament, the book of James, James says this about Elijah. James says that Elijah was a man of like passions as you and I. What is he saying there? What he is saying there is... He was a man. He was a human. He wasn't, he wasn't a deity of any sort. He was just like us. And so the implication is, James' point is, whatever uh, you see God do in Elijah, God can do in your life if you understand how to follow God, follow the instructions. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about this whole matter of following God. Now, a victorious Christian's life is always linked to two things. It's linked to God's Word and our response to God's Word. All right, do you get that? A victorious Christian is committed to the Word of God 
And that's what makes the difference for them. So that's the Word of God and the response that we uh, give to God. Now, He won't make you respond properly, but there's a link there. Uh, it's interesting in the passage that we've read, the background on that is that there is a wicked king in charge. His name is Ahab. You may have heard of Ahab. Ahab married a woman named Jezebel. You know, people don't name their kids Ahab today, and they don't name their kids Jezebel. And this is the reason. These were not good people. And uh, Ahab had become king of Israel, and he was a wicked dude. Uh, so bad, the Bible describes... Well, look in chapter uh, 16. Look at verse 33 of chapter 16. Just one chapter back. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And uh, so uh, this is the setting. This king is ruling Israel, and he has led them into paganism. He has led them to worship uh, Baal. He's even built a temple to Baal and an altar to Baal, and he's led the people uh, to worship this pagan God. And, and among other things that he had done, and God, um, God's upset. And so he tells Elijah, you go and send a message to him. And you tell him uh, that there's not going to be any rain until uh, you return and speak for it to rain. And so this is the message that God sends to Ahab through the prophet Elijah. And it is God simply saying to Ahab, I'm going to show you who's really in charge here today. And so I want us to look at that event. That is one event, actually, in a sequence of events that shall follow by the prophet Elijah. And all of them are helpful to us. But I want to look at this one particular incident that we just read and, uh, and show you some principles from God's Word about what it means to walk in victory. The first thing that I want you to notice is Elijah's declaration. In verse 1 of chapter 17, it says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, there shall be no rain. Now, this was Elijah, not Elijah's idea. Elijah didn't say, hmm, how can I get Ahab's attention? Elijah was in touch with God. He was a man of God. And so the word of God, you see several times when you read through the story of Elijah, you will see this idea, and the word of God came. The word of God came. The word of God had come to him, and the word of God is what prompted him to go to Ahab and say to Ahab, uh, there's not going to be any rain on, on the land. There's not going to be anything until I say so again. This was a, his declaration. It wasn't Elijah's idea. It was God's idea given to Elijah to give to Ahab. There's a process that's about to happen. It was a bold declaration. When you say and it was a bold declaration because Elijah declared it in a culture that was hostile to Jehovah God. Ahab had led this culture away from Jehovah God, and he had led them to the pagan god of Baal. And this is who they worship. And against that backdrop, you think about Elijah, he's proclaiming a message that's not real popular in the culture. It's kind of like the age we live in. It's getting harder and harder for people to declare their allegiance to Jesus Christ without experiencing some kind of repercussion, isn't it? And it was like that perhaps a little more wicked in that, in that day, but Elijah's making this declaration, and uh, he, uh, he's, what he's saying to Ahab is, God's in control, you're not in control. And God's going to prove it. Now, Elijah's responsibility is the same responsibility we have. We have a responsibility to make a declaration about where our loyalty is. We have that responsibility through the way we live, the behavior, the, the position we take based on the Word of God. And when you do that, it won't often garner a lot of friends. But it is a declaration that our lives have to make and our lips have to make in many occasions. That's what's going on. Now, you and I are responsible for the declaration. God is responsible to make happen whatever's involved in the declaration. See, Elijah just went and said, here's what's going to happen. But it is God who would hold back the rain. Our responsibility is to align ourselves with God's declaration. What does God say about the matter? When we look at our world today, what we've got to do is we've got to look out there uh, with love, but at the same time say, but what does God 
What does God say? And then we have to say, that's the position, that's the place where I stand. One of the reasons that's becoming harder and harder is even among Christians, they tend to take what does the world kind of, what is the, the culture kind of, uh, what's its view on things, and they try to look at the Word of God through the culture. Are y'all with me? And that gives you a distorted view of what God says. And so that's what causes people to say, well, I, I, I believe this, but I don't believe this. I accept this, but I don't accept this because the filter has become the culture. What we must do is reverse that. The filter is the Word of God. So we look through the lens of God's Word, and then our declaration is based on that, not based on what the culture says or even what feels right. By the way, this isn't often popular, is it, when you do that? So our declaration, uh, sometimes in the midst of what's wrong, uh, will not always set well. So what do we learn from this? Well, there are a couple of things that we learn. First, we, I'd say we learn that, that we, have, we can't be intimidated by the world regarding the Word of God. We can't be intimidated uh, by the world uh, when it comes to the declaration of what's true based on God's Word. And here's the reason why. Because the things in this world, do you know what's going to happen to them? They're, they're passing away. John said... Uh, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so the first thing we have to do is say, I, I won't be intimidated. Elijah wasn't intimidated by the world when he spoke to the wickedness of what the king was doing and what was happening in the culture. He was not intimidated. He said, here's what God says. Here's what God said. Do what you want with it. But here's what God says. The second thing for us to understand is that we must not be ashamed of our allegiance to God over the kingdoms of man. There is a distinction that, that should characterize those followers of Christ, and it is which kingdom that they are aligned with. And we should never be ashamed to say, I belong to the kingdom of God. Uh, we should never be ashamed to say, gosh, if you put me in a corner between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God, I'm going with the kingdom of God. Now, that doesn't mean we're to be hostile to the kingdoms of this world, but we are never to allow the kingdoms of this world to shape our life. We are to be shaped by our allegiance to the kingdom of God. And sooner or later, you and I will have to either declare or reveal where our loyalty is. Is your loyalty uh, to the, the kingdoms that you, uh, you experience in this world, or is your loyalty to the kingdom of God? You see, there are, there are several things that, are, that, that change all our loyalties. The first Paul talked about in Colossians was that a believer has been transferred to a new kingdom. Paul said it this way, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, Paul says you've been transferred. You've been transferred from one kingdom to another kingdom, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And so a believer's been transferred. That's one of the reasons our allegiance is always to God. A second thing the scripture tells us is that not only has a believer been transferred to a new kingdom, a believer has been given new citizenship. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes and says, So then you are no longer strangers or aliens. But, and he doesn't mean like aliens from another planet. He means aliens as, as in from another, uh, another kingdom. Uh, he says, So you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So if you've come to Christ, listen, you, uh, uh, you've been transferred to a new kingdom, and you have been given new citizenship. That citizenship is uh, in heaven. Ultimately, that's where that citizenship will be most expressed. But we're already citizens of that kingdom of God that has come in Christ and will be manifested in eternity. All right. We're, if, if you know Christ, that's already uh, true of you. Now, a believer's goal is to live at peace. Our, we're not here to fight the kingdoms, okay? This isn't about fighting the kingdom. Uh, a believer's goal, it, it Paul wrote and said, is to live it as much as possible, live at peace with all men. We are to speak the truth in love, but we're to live at uh, peace. And we are to, to uh, 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 comply with authority, the Bible tells us. 
with the exception of when that authority tells us you can't follow Christ or you can't worship God. How, you say, how do we know that? Well, because there was occasion in the book of Acts. Acts is the beginning of the church, you know. And in that particular uh, incident, Peter and the apostles, they, God was using the day of Pentecost. Thousands of people got saved. Uh, as well as uh, in the days that followed, people were being healed. Uh, there were miracles happening through the apostles. And, and so the council, which was made up of a lot of religious people, the council called them in. And the council said, stop doing what you're doing. Stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. That's what the council told them. And uh, stop doing this work and stop doing this miracle. Isn't that crazy? They're doing all these good things. People's lives are being changed. People are being healed. Miracles are happening. But the religious people can't handle it. And they call them in. And say, so they say, stop. You know what their response was? Listen to this. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. You see, there comes a point in time where there might be tensions between the kingdoms. But, and when that happens, when the kingdoms of this world try to pull us away from the kingdom of God and the work of the kingdom of God, our answer is to be the same one the apostles gave. Look, if you're putting us in the position to make us choose, we're going to choose God. That's what they said. So to live in victory, the message that we, de uh, we declare with our lives, and by the way, your behavior has to align with the instruction uh, of God in his word. All right, you got that? All right, so, so that's uh, Elijah's uh, declaration, all right? The second thing I want you to notice is Elijah's destination. Verses 2 to 3 talk about the destination. He says, uh, the, uh, God, the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and hide yourself by the brook Cherith. Now, God directed Elijah to go into hiding. Now, hang on to that thought because I want to come back to that in just a second. The destination that God sent him to was an obscure and isolated area of the wilderness. And that seems a little strange, really, when you think about it, because this is a great man of God. Already, Elijah is a great man of God. He's a prophet. He's a victorious servant of God. And he's uh, under God's authority, so much so that he says, I, I will determine, based on what God tells me, when it will rain and when it won't rain. And yet, this man is told to go into hiding at God's direction. Now, let me give you a, a, two or three lessons about that, what we kind of learned from Elijah's destination. Now, the first, I would say, is this, that victorious Christians, like Elijah, are not exempt from suffering and assault from the evil plans of other people in the world. You don't get a pass because you're a Christian from the brokenness of this world and the hostilities of this world against those uh, that are followers of God. And so we learn this, and, and so uh, we, we come to understand that there's no exemption. You don't get a pass. Somebody said after the first service, they said, Pastor, I thought you were going to say what this teaches us is that nobody gets exemption from COVID. I said, well, that, maybe that too. Uh, but the point is, a victorious Christian understands that we're not exempt from suffering in the, the evil plans of this world. And so there are times where the wise thing is to do, to listen to God, and God says, go here. You go here so I can keep you safe. And it's in, important to understand this, that we're not exempt from these things. That's why God moved him to this wilderness, to protect him. Why did God want to protect him? God wanted to protect him because God wasn't finished with him. God had more work for him to do. And so God tells him to go and hide. By the way, Paul uh, uh, had to, to flee on several occasions for his life. And he, instead of saying, well, I'll just stay here and God will take care of me. No, no. He, he fled for his life. Jesus, you remember the Bible says on several occasions, he disappeared from them because it wasn't his time. Why? He was getting away. There's a time that God will put you in a safe place. He'll uh, lead you to a safe place. Why? Because he knows how evil the world is. And it's important for us to understand that so that when, when difficulty and, and evil comes at us or suffering or assault or sickness or whatever it may be, we need to understand that so that we don't lose trust in God when those things happen in our life, so that we don't lose confidence. You see, uh, God was at work, and we have to understand that, that sometimes God will move us to protect us because working on us and God has more to do through us. 
And that's what's going on here. And, and the, uh, another lesson is that God's watching over his, his victorious servant. Um, and God has a place to protect his servant. Um, God could have easily, now I know, maybe your mind's saying, well, God could have easily uh, and initially dealt with Ahab, but he chose not to. I mean, God could have said, you don't have to go anywhere to hide Elijah. I'm going to deal with him. I mean, God could have done that, right? But he didn't. Instead, he sent Elijah into hiding. Why didn't God just go ahead and deal with Ahab? God would deal with Ahab. But why didn't he just do this right now? Let me tell you. God didn't just deal with him initially because God was going to teach Ahab something before he dealt with him. And that is that God was going to show him that he could hold back the rain, which they were desperate for, because he was in control. And, and why this particular kind of display? Well, go back to chapter 16. Look at verse 31. Follow along with me, if you will. <clears throat> and as if it had been... Uh, a light thing for him to walk in the sins. It's talking about Ahab. In the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and he served Baal and worshipped him. And look, he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. All right, so what's going on? Now just hang on. Why did God just not go ahead and deal with Ahab? Why? Because he's going to teach Ahab something. But not only teach Ahab something, he's going to teach his people something. Because remember, they had followed the leadership of Ahab into paganism. And, so he, and, and God basically said that Ahab did two things that were wicked. Number one, he married Jezebel. That's what he said. That, that was, that was a, a bad move. And Jezebel most likely helped contribute to the advance of paganism. And the second thing that he did was he built a temple to Baal. These were the two things that were, that were serious and provoked God. Uh, and he, then he led the people uh, to worship uh, Baal as the God. Okay, y'all hang with me now, okay? So we know what he's done. So why did God then not just kill him? He's going to teach Israel something. Israel's now worshiping Baal. Um, and so God, he addresses Ahab with a whole idea of control. Do you, know, do you know what the God that they worship Baal, do you know who the God Baal was? It was a God of agriculture. You're putting the pieces together. So God said, you want to worship the God of agriculture? I'll show you who God is. I'm going to withhold rain. And then we'll see who the real God of agriculture is. You can't grow things without water. Everything dried up. If you read the rest of this story, the land became parched. Nothing, nothing would grow. What was God doing? Are you all with me? You see what God was saying? I'm in control. Israel, you're my people. Do you understand? I'm in control. Baal's not in control. And so he wanted Ahab to see that, but then he wanted the people of God to learn that. So God is going to show them who's in charge of agriculture. God's going to show them after three years that Ahab didn't know what he's talking about and that those who joined his evil would have to bow down to Jehovah God. And then there's a third thing for us to learn, and that is the protective destination for Elijah was developed, was to develop Elijah's trust and confidence and dependence on God to an even greater degree. In other words, when God is doing, sending this message over here to Israel and to Ahab about who's really in control, he has put uh, Elijah over here in a protective place, and he's put him there to grow him. You know, God can multitask. And so... Elijah, I've got work for you to do down the road, and so I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to put you over here in isolation because I'm growing you. I'm growing you for things yet to come. I'll tell you about that in just a minute. And then uh, to Ahab, I want you to know who's in control. Israel, are you watching who's in control because you're suffering because you followed Baal also? And so God is doing these two things in this one uh, uh, event. And so he's showing his power to Ahab, 
And at the same time, he's growing and developing Elijah for his next assignment. All right, and that leads to the third thing I want you to see. I want you to see Elijah's uh, preservation. You shall drink, verse 4, you shall drink from the brook that I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. God says, I'm going to do something. Not only am I going to protect you, I'm going to preserve you. I'm going to put you in this place, and then I'm going to provide for you. Because remember, everything had dried up, and, and, uh, but he said, I'm going to put you by a brook that's active. So you can drink from that brook, and then I'm going to command, by the way, another example of God being in control. I'm going to command the ravens to bring you meat and bread in the morning and meat and bread uh, in the evening so that you, you can eat. And you know what? All of nature is under his command. And isn't it interesting, he uses a particular kind of bird, a raven. A raven is considered a, more of a scavenger bird. It goes and, and eats for itself. But in this case, the raven has been commanded by God. Mr. Raven, come here. There's a, I've got a prophet over there. All of y'all, this pack of ravens here. I, I, you've got a new assignment. I created you, and you're going to do what I told you to do. I want, I want food, and I'll supply the food for you to take to Elijah in the wilderness and here's your assignment every morning and every evening y'all can do it in shifts however you want to do it but you're going to do it because I've commanded you I mean that's what's going on and so the ravens say we got our orders we got our and by the way nature never argues with God man is the only creation of God that argues with him the birds never do the, the animals do whatever he commands them to do. Not Dr. Doolittle, but God. And so, so God was going to take care of him. I, I read a story as I was working on this message about a friend of Martin Luther named John Brentz. He was one of the stalwarts of the, the Reformation. And King Charles V uh, of Spain uh, hated him and had made many attempts because of his stand for, for the Reformation, had made many attempts to have him killed, but just wasn't able to pull it off. And so uh, he sent a whole uh, Spanish cavalry troop to try to kill uh, John Brentz. And John Brentz heard that they had been sent to arrest him and he cast himself before God in prayer seeking the Lord. And while he was in prayer, he received guidance from the Lord. The, the guidance that he received was this, take a loaf of bread and go into the upper town, the upper side of town, and when you get there, you will find a house and a door will be open. When you find that house, go in that door and then hide yourself in the loft under the roof of this house. And I know it sounded a little strange, but he sought God, and that's what God had, had told him to do. And so he did that. He acted accordingly. He went into the city. He had a loaf of bread. He found the open door. He went inside. He hid himself in the loft, and he stayed there for 14 days hidden in that loft. And while the search was going on by the Spanish cavalry, all through that city looking for him, they couldn't find him. Now, a loaf of bread wasn't sufficient to get him through 14 days. So here's what God did. Every day, every morning, a hen came up in that loft and laid an egg and then left. Didn't cackle, made no noise. It just laid an egg and left. And it did that for 14 days straight. That hen came up there, laid the egg, and then left. On the 15th day, the hen didn't return. And John Brent in the loft, here's the people clamoring outside this house saying, finally, they've left. Finally, the Spanish cavalry is gone. Our, our community is free and open again. And John Brent came out. That's exactly what's going on here. God sends Elijah to this place. He's isolated. He's alone with purpose, but God says, I'm going to take care of you in that place. I'll send the ravens to feed you. It's supernatural. It was supernatural provision. And here's a couple of truths for victorious Christians from that. It is a reminder to us that our situation does not inhibit the ability of God to take care of us. Right? Your situation does not hinder God's ability nor his capacity to take care of you. 
God has command over all things. He chose to use the ravens to feed Elijah, so your situation is not beyond his ability. I still wear uh, this uh, band that we gave out about three or four years ago. It says God first on it. And by the way, if you don't have one, you want one, there's out at the Welcome Center desk. Just go by and get you one. And when, when I, I put this idea together, it's based on Matthew 6, uh, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things, that is all that you need, will be added to you. And, and I say, wouldn't it be great if we had a reminder? And the bracelet isn't for other people. You know, a lot of times we wear these kind of bracelets so other people will, and I think that's fine too, but this is for us. And the way you wear it is this way, where you can read it, not where somebody else can read it. It says, God first, Matthew 6, 33. Why did, why did I do that? It's because I want to be able to look at that and be reminded, oh, yeah, God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's a reminder to us. Why? That God has the supernatural ability to take care of us and to provide for us. Your situation does not inhibit God's ability to care for you. And the other truth that I would share with you is that God knows where you are and God knows what you need. The victorious Christian can live with the knowledge that not only does God have the ability to take care of them, but he also knows where they are. He also knows what their situation is, no matter where they are, and what need they have. David said in Psalm 37, he said, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. God can take care of God can look out for and God can preserve those who are listening and obeying his instructions. And then number four, I want you to notice Elijah's dedication. Verse five tells us this, what did Elijah do? So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For Elijah, there's no debate, there's, there's no doubt, there's only total dedication and immediate obedience. Now, the victorious Christian has to learn something, and that is to listen to God and obey God without debate. When I was growing up, there was an old hymn that we sang. It was old even when I was growing up, but it went like this, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's certainly true of old, and it's certainly true today. And Elijah was dedicated to God because he trusted God. Victorious living, dedication to God, they go hand in hand. If you want to be victorious in your walk with Christ, you've got to dedicate yourself to obeying God. And the secret to dedicated obedience to God is one word, one word. It's the word trust. I trust God. I don't always understand the ways of God. I don't always understand the work of God. I don't always understand what God's doing in my life, but I trust God. I trust him, and because I trust him, I will obey him. In other words, we have to ask ourselves if we really do believe the instructions of God and do we trust them enough to obey them completely and fully. What is this kind of victorious dedication? What does it look like? Well, first, it is a dedication that is based on what God says. It says in verse 5, Elijah did... He did according to the word of the Lord. Woodrow Kroll made a statement that I think is very good. He said, when it comes to God's commands, the issue is not clarity, it is commitment. In other words, when God says something, the the issue isn't about me saying, well, God, you know, okay, but I need you to clarify it a little bit more. Would you explain yourself a little bit uh, uh, better? And then I'll, you know, then I'll consider uh, doing it. No, no. He says, and I agree, and we see it in Elijah, we see it in the disciples. It said they dropped their nets immediately and they followed Jesus. When God speaks, when God says something, when God gives us instructions, it's not about our clarity, it's about our commitment. And our commitment, again, is based on the fact that we, we trust him. You've got a couple of options. You can trust yourself sometimes or just trust God. Which one are you going to take? Too often we substitute trust in our own uh, way instead of the will of God, or we try to take our way and sacramentalize it and make it God's way. Elijah simply did according to the word of the Lord. And don't you think even for Elijah it might have been a little bit weird 
to say, now go out into the wilderness all by yourself. Here's where I'm going to send you. And just drink from the brook. He said, okay, I got that. And then God says, and then I'm going to feed you with the birds. Now, probably even Elijah might have thought, that seems a little bit strange. Our, our responsibility isn't to question what God is doing. It is to obey what God has said. And that's what he does. And he does so immediately. Somebody said this, it's good, I don't know who said it, but he said, God knows what he's doing when it seems like things are falling apart, they are actually falling together. God knows what he's doing, and so when things seem like they're falling apart, because God is in control, they're falling together. Listen, when you look at the world, and by the way, there's a lot of tension right now, isn't there? And you go, what's going on? Where is God? Do you know God is moving creation toward his ultimate plan? Did you know that? None of what's going on in your world right now is taking God by surprise. Did you know God is still in control? All things are still moving according to his eternal plan for this planet. And by the way, for your lives. God's not surprised. Now, that, but it, what it does mean is... We better take serious what it means to follow God. Amen? All right. So the victorious Christian, like Elijah, has to be dedicated to the instructions of God. And that brings me to the last thing I want to show you here this morning. That is Elijah's preparation. Now, I told you earlier there's a purpose that Elijah has been isolated, that he's been put out in the wilderness, all right? I didn't really explain why that is, but now I want to show you uh, what God is up to. Look at verse 7. After a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Elijah became a victim of his own prayer, right? The brook dries up. Elijah's the guy under the authority of God who prayed that there'd be no rain. The land becomes parched. And even the place where God had put Elijah, now the brook dries up. And the ravens stopped bringing food. What in the world is going on? Here's what's going on. Remember I said that God put him to a plan. While God was dealing with Ahab and with Israel, he was also growing Elijah. You know what God's doing? He's preparing him for the next assignment. And so when it's time for him to move on, what does God do? He drives the brook up and he stops the ravens. Why? And he says, now I want you to go to your next assignment. And his next assignment is to a woman and her son, a single woman and her son in Zarephath. And he says, there I'm going to feed you again. And I'm going to continue to work in you to bring about some more um, of my work down the road. And so he goes there. And by the way, the woman's not real happy at first when Elijah comes because she doesn't have much to eat and she's trying to feed her son. She says, how am I going to feed all of you? And Elijah says, this is a loose translation. Elijah basically says, it's all right. I'm with you and God's with me and God's going to take care of me. And because I'm with you, God's going to take care of you and your son. And by the way, her son would die. And uh, Elijah would raise him from the dead. Now, all of Elijah's ability to come in and do that and then to go on, and after that, the, the next part of his assignment would be to go to Mount Carmel and call down fire from the sky and wipe out the, uh, the prophets of Baal and their altars and all of that and, and move Israel back to the worship of God. You see, God is doing something. The assignment is incremental. All right, I want you here. I'm going to prepare you here in the wilderness. And then when I'm ready for you to move, I'll dry up the resources so you move here. You go here. I'm going to use you here. I'm going to prepare you uh, for the next assignment and the next assignment. You with me? We just did something this uh, this past week, we, they do it every year, our Early Learning Center and our Ridgecrest Academy. Uh, there's a, a special reading emphasis about this time of year, and it's based on the Dr. Seuss books. And the kids, it's so, it's so neat. They all dress up as Dr. Seuss characters, you know, and they put on those outfits of different characters. They get to decide, and then they have a little, through our campus, they have a parade. I don't know, there were a bunch of kids, huh? Uh, and they have all sizes of kids, and uh, even to the bed babies who are dressed up and being pushed around in uh, uh, baby beds on wheels uh, in the parade. But these kids are all dressed up, and they're so cute and everything. And, 
based on Dr. Seuss. And some of you remember there's a couple of characters in Dr. Seuss called Thing One and Thing Two. How many of you remember Thing One and Thing Two, these characters in there? Okay. And, um, and by the way, my, my oldest grandson, they did it up at his little school, and he was Thing One. Uh, and had to send pictures, all that kind of stuff. They're so cute. But I, I got to thinking about the, the, the thing one. You know, that's kind of God, thing one, thing two. But God doesn't stop with thing one. He has thing one for your life, thing two for your life, thing three for your life, thing four for your life. Are you with me? Thing five, and on and on it goes. Why? Because if we follow, we'll go from this thing to this thing to this thing. And in most cases, God expands what he's doing in us if we're following. But now if you are here in this thing and, and you don't go to the next thing when God dries the brook up, guess what you'll do? You'll start, you'll start going back. And, or, or if you go here and you stop, God will start taking you backwards. Because with God, he's always moving us forward. Can you imagine if Jesus walked in here today? Can you imagine Jesus walking in saying, I'm so glad to be with you. And you people, you people, including the pastor, I just want to tell y'all, stop where you are. You have done enough. Enough. You have grown enough. You have gone enough. You have given enough. You have uh, uh, served God enough. Stop it. Can you imagine Jesus doing that for an instant? You can't, can you? Because we all know he wouldn't. If he walked in here, he'd say, why are you back here at thing one when I really have tried to move you all the way down here to thing four? That's probably what he would say, right? Somebody said this, if Jesus were our pastor, our church would be much smaller. Think about that. And so what he's doing is he's saying, Elijah, I'm preparing you in the wilderness. I'm going to drop the brook and, and, and stop the ravens because I, that assignment is over. And I've been equipping you for the next assignment. And there I'll equip you for another assignment. That's pre preparation. God's preservation is about his preparation. You see, the reason is because God is always trying to take us someplace new. You'll read at the end of my letters. You'll read at the end of my column. I always include that. Now, I want to tell you why. That's personal for me because God burned that into my life, I don't know, about 30 years ago. I was in my time with the Lord, and he, he whispered my heart from a passage that I was studying. He said, Ray, I'm never finished with you. I'm always trying to take you someplace new. And that's true for all of us. And it was true, remember, because Elijah is a man of like passions, just like you and me. And so God was preparing him, and every part of the preparation was for the next assignment, and the next assignment, and the next assignment. When God takes you someplace new, that doesn't necessarily mean that, that God is trying to geographically take you someplace new. In fact, more specifically, when God spoke into my heart, it was about spiritually, I, meaning I'm not... I'm not satisfied with where you are. Don't you get satisfied spiritually with where you are. There's more. There's more. And everything that you encounter, where you are right now, listen to me, where you are right now is a school of preparation. You may be acing it or you may be failing. But for you to go to the next place, you got to get that right where you are is where God wants you right now so God can prepare you for other things that he wants to do through you. Does that make sense? If you want to be a victorious Christian, if you want to know what that really means to be victorious, you've got to follow the instructions. And if you don't follow the instructions, you will not experience victory. You'll limp along. You may manage a bit spiritually, but you'll never experience victory until you understand the importance of saying whatever God's instructions are to me from his word, and he'll never give you instructions that counter his word. He'll never tell you to do something that is inconsistent uh, with this book. And so the question is, are you following the instructions or are you trying to take a shortcut? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? No one looking about in this place this morning. I want to ask you something. 
Have you followed the most important instructions in all of Scripture? The instructions to call upon the name of the Lord in order to be saved. If you have not, I want to urge you to do that. Those are the start, that's the starting instructions for Christian victory. Those of you who are joining us by live stream or television or radio, I just remind you that you have to start there. It isn't about being religious. It's not about being a Baptist. It's about being a kingdom citizen that only comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And right where you are in this building, or watching by live stream, television, listening by radio, whatever it may be, right now you can call on him. You can say in your heart a prayer sincerely that goes something like this, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I need you. I invite you to come into my life now. Forgive me and become my Savior and my Lord. If you prayed that prayer today, I tell you that he will hear that prayer and wants to begin this wonderful process of transformation and spiritual growth. Maybe, maybe you've, been, you've been saved, but you, you've been sidetracked. You know, instead of really walking according to the instructions, you've been trying to make your own way God's will. Why don't you tell him this morning, God, I want victory. And so I want to follow your will. I want to obey your word. I want to live out by the, uh, the instructions that you've given. And Father, I recommit myself to that. I recommit myself to follow your instructions. Speak to my heart, God, and help me to adjust where I'm not following you. Now, Lord, would you hear all of these prayers, and would you move in our lives? We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me for our time of invitation? As we do each week, I'll, I'll be here at the front. Others will be at the aisles, and I want to invite you in the balcony of this ground floor to slip out from where you're seated. Come. Is there a decision? Maybe you prayed that prayer. Maybe you, um, you say, I'm here, and I am a Christian, but you know what I need? I need a family. I need a family like Ridgecrest to belong to, and I'd like to join Ridgecrest. We'd love to have you. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I need, like Charlotte, I need to be baptized. And we won't do it today, but we'll, we'll get that scheduled at a time that works for you. But maybe you, you need to do it. If you haven't been biblically baptized, you need to be. And so you might want to come and say, I need to do that. Or I need to come and pray around this altar. Come and use it. Kneel before God. There's somebody you're praying for. There's a decision that you've got to make or something else going on in your life and you just want to lift it before the Lord, come and kneel before Him. There is power when we, we bend ourselves before God and that's biblical. That's not preacher talk. That's biblical that we kneel before Him, that we bow before Him. We show who He is when we do that and we show how serious we are when we do that and maybe you need to come and do that if you're watching us by live stream or television whatever medium uh, remember this phone number 334-384-8080 and you can just text us the word pastor that means I've trusted Christ or the word joined I'd like to join Ridgecrest we'll take it from there but take this moment very seriously would you as Bradley and them lead us. You slip out right now and come on.